Welcome to Hive Mind. I'm Meg. I'm here with Eli. That's right, you are. Eli, we got a call in. Uh huh. Which are my new favorite things. Anybody can leave us a voice message by clicking the link in our show notes. Yeah. Um, we're going to play this one from Mariah. We're going to listen to this message from Mariah. Hi, Meg and Eli. I was just listening to your episode about Inside. And you were talking about David Copperfield in the beginning, which I tried to watch but because I love Dev Patel, but I thought it was really boring. So I had to tell you, Meg, because I know you love a celebrity sighting, that um, I used to live in L.A. And at my bachelorette party, we ended up doing an art crawl in downtown L.A. So we went from art gallery to art gallery and then got food at the end. And at the last gallery we went to, my friends and I were all blown away because we ran into Dev Patel and he was so tall and gorgeous and all of us were giggling like schoolgirls. It was really embarrassing. And I would never do this because I don't like to approach celebrities, but my friend went up to him and said, hey, it's my friend's bachelorette party. She has a huge crush on you. Can she get a picture with you? So I went up, took a picture with him. He's very nice, but unfortunately in the picture, he had a lazy eye. So what do you do? At least I got to meet him. That's my Dev Patel story. Eli. <sighs> Who's the most famous person you have a picture with? Oh, I'm glad you asked because I had I shared a New York moment uh, once with Laura Linney. Mm, what? <laughs> I've never heard this story. I unnecessarily apologized to her because mm -hmm. I didn't. I got flustered and I didn't know what to say. So you posted that picture last night on yeah. Twitter. Twitter.com. Her face is so funny in it because she looks like. You know why it's funny, Meg? It's because she's still making the face that she made when I apologized. So what happened was I ran into her and I was like, because <gasps> yeah. I love Laura Linney. Yeah. And I said, oh, you're Laura Linney. And she said, yeah. And I said, I love your work. And she said, oh, thank you. And I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> and then she made this face at me like bewildered, like what? And then my friend was like, here, let's take a picture of you two. And so then she turned and she's still halfway in that face. Like, why did he just apologize yeah. to me? She looks scared and very confused. Because I looked insane <laughs> and sounded insane. And I was like also very conscious about the fact that like, I was not going to touch her in any way because yeah. like, I'm not, obviously I don't know. This person doesn't yeah, yeah, know. I'm not yeah, going to yeah. touch her. But we, so we turn for this picture and I'm just awkwardly standing there with my hands in front of me, like very consciously, like do not, you're not putting your arm around her. This yeah. is not a photo with a friend. Like I was just like so self-aware of the yes. situation. Yes. It's hilarious. Uh -huh. um, and really she's like glad. holding her phone. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's so awkward. Yeah. And it's priceless. Yeah. I have a picture with Mitt Romney. That's the most famous I person that. I have a photo with, even though my husband has seen 17 different famous people that he could have pointed out to me, but he <sighs> was too embarrassed to do it in public. Yeah. yeah. So I don't have any other. Actually, I would feel really weird asking them for a photo if he had pointed it out. I would, And I wouldn't have asked Laura Linney for a photo because I also would feel weird. I All I wanted to. In fact, it, had I even thought about it, I wouldn't have even approached her. But it was like we ran into her and it just like came out. It was yes. like, you're Laura Linney. And then my friend was just like, can he have a picture with you? He loves you. And she was she was so sweet, actually, yeah. and was just like, of course, you know, and we turned and then took the picture. And she's just still just like, is this person going to murder me? <laughs> so I really I want to become like super famous one day just so that I can like meet her again and be like, you're not going to believe this. We have a picture together. Yes. 
yes, I hope that for you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, what have you been watching? I started watching Feel Good on Netflix. Okay. Have you heard of this? No. It's a um, Lisa Kudrow show. Oh, okay. That's why I'm watching it because okay. in this house we support Lisa yes. Kudrow. And uh, it's about like a young lesbian couple and Lisa Kudrow plays the mother of one of them. And it's I think it's a British show technically. Oh, okay. Like it's shot and takes place in London. Uh, I'm like two episodes in. So far I like it. It's pretty it's a pretty like simple show okay lisa kudrow's delightful of course okay great and so it's recent i think it's brand new cool i just heard about it for the first netflix knows me so it was like hey lisa's in this i'm okay talk to me about this we have tried we have restarted ted lasso like four times oh okay i want to love this show i just can't do it. You know, you don't have to. So, but what I'm wondering, like, so we're like four episodes in now. Yeah. And I, I just like don't want to keep watching, but I'm wondering like, is this something that if I just commit to it and get a little bit further, I'm going to be really grateful for it. But you seem to just like, like it right from the beginning. I thought it was a little corny at the beginning, but mm-hmm. I still liked it. Okay. And I, I do think it was probably about episode four or five where there were some jokes that actually made me laugh out loud. Okay. So, I mean, it's short. Might as well just finish the season. And if you don't like it altogether, just don't watch season two. And I don't dislike it. I'm not saying that. I'm just like, everybody was like, Ted Lasso is the best thing to come out of television this year. And I'm just like, ah, Ted Lasso, I feel like I've tried like three different Apple shows now and they're all the same. And we've talked about it before. It's like their products. It's like a mediocre thing that's somehow a little bit addicting still. And like Ted Lasso kind of feels like that to me. Like I can see why people just keep hitting play. I would, I, my quality of life, if I did not own AirPods, (laughs) would decrease by a factor of 50%. I hate my AirPods. Okay, let's move on. Because Meg, half the time, like one of them won't work. And then I have to like forget the device and put it back in and take it back out. And Skylar has had to take back the, his AirPods and re- get them replaced like three times in the last four months because they just like stop working. But they he would get them. really mad if he heard me I know, I know. saying something bad about um, Apple right now. I'm not, I'm actually not allowed. Okay. Okay. So can we talk for a second about this Sharon Stone thing that you don't know about yet? I don't know about it, but we can talk about it. You're going to die. Okay. So Sharon Stone gives this interview and th- I think this just came out today. Okay. And this is what the article says. Um, the whole Meryl Streep icon, um, let me see the worship around Meryl Streep, Meryl Streep is part of what Hollywood does to women. I hear you. I start to say the person who's writing the article, I hear you. I start to say, but stone is on a roll. She starts listing names. Viola Davis is every bit. The actress Meryl Streep is Emma Thompson, Judy Davis, Olivia Coleman, Kate Winslet. Um, but you say Meryl and everybody falls on the floor. I actually agree with you. I start to say. I'm a much better villain than Meryl, Stone goes on, and I'm sure she'd say so. Meryl is not going to be good in Basic Instinct or Casino, for which Stone earned an Oscar nomination. I would be better. I know it, and she knows it. But we're all set up to think that only Meryl, here goes Stone's voice, here Stone's voice goes all breathy, and she stretches out her arms, left arm forward, is so amazing. Then you say her name. It must have been amazing for me to work with her. 
Are they in a project together? I don't know. What is how how what did this come up? I don't like they're just what? Where's the interview? It's it's an interview. I think it's New York Times. Somebody's interviewing her and asking her, I guess, about her career, and she just all of a sudden goes on this whole rant about how like Meryl Streep is not as amazing as everybody says she is, and there are other people like her who are just as good of actresses. Incredible. And I'm like, I okay, a Meryl Streep is amazing. Like that is undisputed. Like sure. she's a chameleon. She's but I very agree. good. In, in so every... is Viola Davis, and so is Olivia Colman. Totally agree that there are other actresses that are in her realm. Yeah. I don't think Meryl Streep is like in a realm on her own. Right. I don't think Sharon Stone is in that, that group. Sounds, that <laughs> sounds like an actor who has been out of work for a long time, and she's just looking to be in the conversation again. Yeah. Which do what you gotta do. I they must like, have something going on weird. together. I don't know. But like Francis McDormand, Meryl Streep, Viola Davis, like yes, I agree. Kate Winslet. Kate I mean, I will now say Kate Winslet after Mayor of Easttown, which is another thing I've been watching. Mm-hmm. I think very, very good. She's turned into a really good actress. So you finished Mayor? Yeah. And? I, I loved it. Yeah. Um I think it's uh, maybe my favorite HBO thing since uh, the comeback. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was so good. Yeah, and and uh, and and Kate Winslet's great in it. You should watch Hacks now. What's that? It's the next Gene Smart show where she plays an oh, older comedian. Okay, and you watch the preview and you're like, why would I watch this? I've already seen this show ten thousand times. It is really good. Okay, I'll check it out. Well, so what have you been watching? Uh, Hacks. I finished watching Hacks. Okay. Um, Lindsay and Sinas, who writes for us, for both you and for me, for Hive Mind and Strangerville, and AU, she was writing for the Beehive. She recommended The Housewives of Beverly Hills for one character, Kathy Hilton, Paris Hilton's mother, is on this season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and she is the funniest ditziest woman I have ever seen on television. She is in a different universe and is so fun to watch. That's is that surprising that they got her to do it? Her sister's already on it. And her huh. she and her sister were like estranged and now they're I mean, it's a big deal to be on the Housewives. It is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, you know, she didn't really have anything going on. She's on it and she is hilarious. Really? Yeah. Intentionally. No. Not intentionally. Not intentionally. Oh, okay. Well, so why is she funny? Like she, they go to her party and she sees a black woman and she's like, oh, I thought you were my sister. Her sister's white. Like. What? Yeah. Like she's just like out to lunch all the time. There's like a scene of her drinking a Red Bull in bed reading at 1 a.m. What? And she's like, oh, I thought it was a soda. Like she's just like not. She she clearly has never taken care of herself because there have always been people to take care of her. Uh-huh. And so now she can't function <laughs> on her own. Okay. And it's such a delight to watch. So okay. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I'm watching Lego Masters with my kids. And it's a good time. There are three episodes in this season. It's corny. Mm-hmm. It's very much made for families. There's teams that are building different Lego challenges and they get eliminated week after week. But it's really fun to watch. Okay. So we've been watching that together. And then all the stuff we're watching for the podcast, Bachelorette, Top Chef. You and I are podcasting about Rebecca, Mm -hmm. the 1940 Rebecca for the Patreon right after this. Mm -hmm. And Cruel Summer for the $3 tier of the Patreon. So that's taking up a lot of my watching time. A lot of TV. And 
We watched In the Heights. I feel like we need to start with the slightest disclaimer, not a disclaimer, a warning. There are movies that I want to actively stop people from liking, like Green Book. I think the world yeah. is a better place if people don't like Green Book. If you have seen In the Heights and you loved it, just don't listen to the rest of this episode. And good for you. Like, I honestly am jealous. I was so excited to see this and I really wanted to like it. And I don't want to ruin it for you if you are somebody who this worked for. But, oh boy, I hate this movie. Hate it. It's not for me. It's <laughs> very much not for me. And very much like you, I feel bad. Because I think this movie means a lot of things to a lot of different people. And mm-hmm. I think it's a great movie for representation. And I think it's telling a story that's not told often in mainstream media. But, boy, was I bored. Uh, give give whoever put together the previews for this movie, the trailer, an Academy Award. Because I thought the trailer made this look like it was going to be the best movie of the decade. Yeah. And we saw, I mean, we initially saw it because it was teased for a long time. And I think COVID pushed back. It, it was pushed supposed to be back. out last summer. Yeah. And when we, Skylar, my husband, who hates musicals, and the two of us saw this trailer and both of us were like, I cannot wait to see that. It looked so good. I was like, I'm going to cry through the whole thing. I'm going to love the music. Had you seen In the Heights? No. Yeah. Was not familiar at all, but it looked incredible to me. And boy, like 10 minutes into this, I was like, okay, hopefully this picks up a little bit. And then it just gets worse and worse. I was so bored. It's just the same song over, over. and over. And it's the same song in Hamilton. It's yeah. just the <laughs> Hamilton song, but about Puerto Ricans and Dominican Republicans. Yeah. How do you say that? Dominican Republicans. <laughs> Is that it? Is that how you say it? I don't know. I don't know if they like that. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm like, oh, this is his thing. And like, it's a thing that Lin-Manuel Miranda is good at, but mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And also, I've just, he's so sincere. He's so. It's really earnest. Oh. Really it's earnest. It's just not for me. It's not for me. Yeah. And the story was not for me. No. Like, I again, representation great. The dance. I would. The one thing I will say. I thought the dancing was very fun to watch. Yes, in that this was movie. the part. But again, I can see that on stage, and it's more fun on stage. A lot more fun to watch it on stage. But the yeah, the the story was just so silly. Yeah, and it, it's like it's told. It's this guy sitting on a beach with a bunch of terribly terrible actor children. Terrible. And every once in a while, he and he's telling a story, and sometimes you see him on the beach telling a story, and sometimes you just hear his voice over narration, and they keep they want to keep reminding you that he's telling this story to children. So whenever there's like voiceover narration, they'll like inject these like incredibly stupid sounding like children's laughter. So it'll be like, and so there we were on the street. It was a hot day, and then I'll go. Ah! Yeah. Like these like just kids like laughing because it's like, oh, yes, there are children on the beach. with, And he's telling this story that's about all these people who live in Washington Heights and how he was trying to get out because he wanted to go live on the beach in the Dominican Republic. Yes. And and then they're the, they lose power and there's dancing and then he falls in love like for a second at the very end. And then, but also, there's a girl who dropped out of college, and and somebody dropped out of college for some reason. Oh, okay. So let let me talk about this for a second. We, I thought 
that this movie suffered from sort of the same thing that Hillbilly Elegy suffered from, which is rich, successful people writing a story about what it must be like to be poor. Mm. And so there's this whole plot point where there's this young woman who's at Stanford and she comes home to Washington Heights for the summer and she's she is grappling with the fact that she doesn't think that she can go back to Stanford because it's too expensive mm -hmm. and they're poor and they can't afford it. And her dad's like, now nah, I'll just sell, you know, the business or part of the business and I can pay for it and yada, yada, yada. And they the movie is acting like this is what poverty is. See what poverty does. And it's mm -hmm. like, no, a kid going to Stanford is not poverty. Yeah. That's a kid struggling paying for Stanford, which is like most everybody would struggle paying for Stanford. Right. And it, I felt like this movie was acting like, hey, we're teaching a story about poor people in Washington Heights. But none of these people seemed actually poor to me. They all seemed like very fine. But the, I think the people who wrote and made this movie, like to them, this is what poverty, like this is their idea of poverty. And it was the same thing in Hillbilly Elegy, where it was like, the, you're, you're acting like you're making a movie about poverty, yeah. but this movie is not depicting actual people in poverty. I mean, poverty. They're, there's not rich, right? And there's yeah. scraping by, and then there's poverty, yeah. right? There's like, can't feed my children. And, and this wasn't that. They're like, everybody in the movie is like a business owner. Like literally every part, they like own their own businesses in Washington yeah. Heights. And like, they're doing fine. And like, yeah, I'm sh I think they're depicting businesses that are not, that's not like they own Google or something, but like, they're all doing fine. Right. And they're, you know, they, they have like these full colorful lives in Washington Heights. And like, that's great. But like, don't, don't try and wrap this like as if it's a movie about like poor people in Washington Heights. Cause I don't think that that's what we saw. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what the actual lives of poor people in Washington Heights looks like. Um, I'm sure it's different than mine and I'm sure that it's hard for them. I, there, there were just so many things in this movie that made me roll my eyes because they were overwritten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's just straight up overwritten and it needed more levity than there was and it needed more self-awareness but i know people who really loved it and i'm happy for them and i think that the play means a lot to a lot of people and i think that this is a movie that was made for the fans of the play okay and that's what i want to say about it i will not be revisiting it i will not be revisit the the ending by the way which was the dumbest part of this whole thing to me is it is revealed at the end that he, this guy is actually not on the beach. He's in his shop in Washington Heights because he discovered that the beach was there all along oh or something. <laughs> he discovers that he loves his neighborhood. And so why does he need to go to the beach? So then he turns his shop into like a beach themed shop. The noise I made <laughs> at that reveal. I think it was like a growl. I think it was a guttural. <laughs> <sighs> There was, I definitely groaned. I was in, the, yeah. I watched this in a movie theater, which fortunately you can watch us on HBO Max. I will say if you are worried that you're going to dislike it like, like me, just do like the HBO Max watch. Listen, I fast forwarded a little bit. Okay. <laughs> like, and I'm because glad I had that so opportunity. Long. It's two and a half hours long. It's, it's so two and long. a half hours. Cut a couple songs. Yeah. All right, I don't want to talk about it anymore. What I do want to talk about is this post going around of a woman on Instagram taking her children outside, and she's holding a letter board that says, Into the Woods We Go Because They Won't re Remember Their Best Day of Watching Television, which is objectively False. untrue. Yeah. Untrue. 
I want to hear about your best day of watching television. Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was a child, and I feel like this is probably a universal experience for TV children in the 90s. When I was a child, trying to time which day or plan which day I was going to pretend to be sick and stay home from school, because you can only do that every so often, right? Like Mm -hmm, every couple mm -hmm. months you get to be trying to figure out which day to do that so that it would coincide with when I thought Plinko was going to happen Uh, on The Price is Right. Yes. And every once in a while, I would hit it just right, and I'd stay home, and the Plinko board would come out on Price is Right, and I'd be like, yes. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) Thank you. That is, yeah, well done. Um, Also, like I feel like some of my happiest memories from my childhood are watching, like, Sunday night miniseries with my family. Absolutely. Where like there was like a miniseries, there was a miniseries about um, like within the Superman universe once on NBC and it like ran for like four weeks. And my family was like so excited to sit down and watch that together. And like that was a very positive thing that like TV brought us together and gave us a memory that I'm now talking about three decades later. And so like the idea that TV is like a waste of time is absurd to me. It's storytelling. Yeah. What about you? Uh, one time, Nick and I, occasional co-host of this podcast, mm-hmm. uh, founding member, founding member, CFO. <laughs> Imagine if we had a chief financial officer. <laughs> um, we were on vacation in St. George, and my parents were like, "Just do whatever." Like, not like they had checked out of parenting, but it was like, "This is vacation. Relax. However, you want to relax. Whatever means to you." I think we did twelve straight hours of Nickelodeon, like uh-huh. <laughs> all day, uh-huh. like maybe. Went up for air and to go to the bathroom once or twice, but like we were in it. And I remember every joke on every episode of TV we watched that day Rocco's Modern Life, uh-huh. Rugrats, Doug, it was the Kids' Choice Award, Coolio yeah. performed. Completely formative experience for yeah. me. We'll always cherish that day. Yeah. I'm impressed with our fortitude and our stamina, honestly. I think that speaks a lot to our character as young children. <laughs> also, I would watch Frasier with my parents at night. I would watch. Uh, everybody loves Raymond. We, we we used to watch like all these sitcoms together mm-hmm. and they really did shape my sense of humor yeah. and my storytelling and my writing. Like these were shows that were performing a written word in just a different way. Yeah. You know, and there's something to that. Oh, 100%. So like I am a good storyteller. Like that's a skill that I have. It's mm-hmm. like probably my favorite talent that I have. I have many, many talents, but this is, that's a joke. Um, (laughs) Storytelling, but like the fact that I can tell a story is like a big deal to me. And I think like the number one thing that I've done that has helped me develop that skill is probably just writing. Like the the process of writing and forcing myself to write a lot has done that. But I really do think number two is watching TV a lot as a kid. Yeah. And like I, I, my, my childhood best friend, Sam and I, we would watch TV And then I feel like we spent a lot of time like recapping TV for each other and doing that, like that kind of process of like seeing how a story is laid out and how it's presented and why it's effective. As a young kid, I think like really cemented in for me, like this is what a story arc looks like. This is what makes a story interesting. This is why people want to tune in. This is what character development looks like. And Meg, you and I have um, done creative projects together for five or six years. And a lot of that has been storytelling projects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one thing that has really surprised me that I've learned is that everybody has really interesting stories, but most people really struggle telling them. 
Yes. And um, and it's something that I think most people really want to do, be better at. And I mean, you and I have some really funny experiences. We we interviewed a friend of mine a few years ago who had the most amazing story and he could not tell it. And it was and he it was like very funny because we were like screaming at him because he was like telling it very badly. But he, he but was a really good sport. He was by a good sport about it. We weren't actually being jerks. But like the idea is, though, that like I think everybody wishes that they could share that information a lot better. And I really do think like whatever your medium is of receiving stories, whether it be podcasts, TV, movies, books, you know, whatever. I think if you are willing to engage in and invest in that medium, like it does make you a more effective storyteller communicator. And so like there's of course trash TV that I feel like sometimes I watch and I'm like, that was pretty much a waste of time. But even the trash TV is crafted in a way to tell a narrative. Yeah. They're, they're adding themes. They're bringing back characters. There's foreshadowing, right. you know, like even that the basis of television is demonstrating some sort of storytelling art mm -hmm. and there's value in that. Yeah. So that lady's wrong. So put your kids in front of the TV. I do it every day. <laughs> they're fine. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, but we'll check back in 10 years we'll and check see back. if they're fine. Um, yeah, we want to hear about your best day of TV. Leave us a voice message. You can uh, find the link in our show notes. And remember to subscribe to our newsletter, HiveMind.Substack.com, and become a Patreon. I mean, we did our episode on Gone with the Wind. It was it was fun to talk about. I'm excited to talk about Rebecca in just yeah. a minute here. We're having a good time. We'd love it if you joined us for $8 a month on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash HiveMindHQ. This is a series that's going to go for over a year. Over a year. Because Which is kind of nice because then it's not like, oh, what are we doing next? It's like, well, we know what we're doing. So yeah. we're in it. Yeah. Um, and we hope that you're enjoying it. So thank you so much for being with us. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.